of happiness. These kids are so excited because they are receiving toys for the very first time. Who doesn't want a gift? Who doesn't want a present? It shows them that out there, there are people who really care about you. You've got an army of volunteers that pack the boxes. Our volunteers for Operation Christmas Child, I believe, are the lifeline of this project. I think that we can be part of something that's going to reach over 10 million kids this year. That's exciting. When the box ends into the hands of a child, that is not the end. The big impact at the end of the day is lives that are changed. It's my prayer that God will use you to tell others about His Son, Jesus Christ. Operation Christmas Child is creating a ripple that's going around the globe. So it started with a box, and it's ending with communities and countries being changed. You know, these boxes are like a candle. It's a little bit of light that you take into a dark part of the world, and it makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want the children of the world to know that there is a God. He loves them. We are so excited again this year to be a part of Operation Christmas Child. And we want to encourage each one of you to take part. If you want to take part in groups, maybe a group of friends, a dorm floor, a family. Um, It's a wonderful and tangible way that we can be God's hands and feet in the world and give to those who need his love and his word and a Christmas gift. Please stand and join us as we come together as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as God's children, as we sing his praises together. Sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much. 
you, we worship you, we bow down before you. We come to you knowing that you are the almighty creator who can do all things, and that you are our Abba Father, full of love for us. May we wait in confident expectation for all that you are going to do in us. Make us open, Lord. Amen. Oh, 
Our scripture reading for this morning is from Acts 5, verses 12 through 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord. we start talking about what we expect from God, and if the answer to that is that we expect God to do miraculous things, and we pray for God to do miraculous things, it is both for me a, um, a, I have a sense of excitement to talk about that, and it scares me to death. This is one of those subjects that is confusing and exhilarating at the same time. We start talking about praying for God to do miraculous things, for God to do bigger things than we might dream or imagine. There is in that a, sort of an electric energy, but there is also a fear. How can you explain all of this? It's impossible to explain all of it. People write books, they write volumes of books, they fill libraries with books trying to understand some of these things and never get to the end of it. And it makes me nervous to stand up and say, we're going to talk about praying for God to do great things, to do the miraculous, to expect God to do big things. And it makes me nervous and fearful, but then I read the scriptures and I read a passage like what we just read where God is, at, is doing such amazing things among the early church that all it takes is for Peter's shadow to fall on somebody and they're healed. And I don't understand that at all. And I read the scriptures and God says to us again and again and again, I want you to pray big prayers. I want you to tell me the desires of your heart. I want you to ask me for things that are bigger than you might dream or imagine. Look at Psalm 2.8. God says to Israel, ask of me and I will give you the nations. That's a pretty big thing. James 4.2. He says to the church talking about these circumstances they're dealing with and the stuff they're wrestling with. And he says, the reason you don't have it is because you haven't asked for it. Jesus himself says to his disciples, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and whoever knocks on the door, it will be opened for When I read the scriptures and I read about God's people praying, I find that the people who are closest to God, the people who are the most deeply spiritual, are the people who pray the boldest, riskiest prayers. And you see that throughout the history of the church, over and over again. The people who are closest to God, the people who are the holiest, are the people who pray pray the biggest, riskiest 
boldest prayers. And I'm convinced when I read the scriptures that God is calling us to be people who pray bold prayers, big prayers, risk-taking prayers. But we tend to hesitate to do that. I suspect one of the reasons we hesitate to pray those kinds of prayers, to pray for God to do the miraculous, to expect God to do the miraculous, is because we've watched people, we've listened to people on the, on the, at this end of the spectrum who take that and say, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. So if I ask, seek, knock, God has to do it. And they make demands of God. And in a sense, they say to us, I've discovered the formula. I can make God do what I want. And if you just follow this formula, if you pray these words, if you pray in this way, if you pray in this posture, if you pray in this place, then God will do whatever you ask. And we listen to that and we think, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but it makes me uncomfortable. Because what's really happening is now, we're in control, not God. We are manipulating God to do what we want. And if God, if we do the right things and say the right things, God has to do what we're asking him to do. But that is a pagan way of thinking. That's how the people who live around Israel think. They believe that their gods will do what they want if they give the right sacrifice in the right way at the right time with the right animal. If they do the right dance... If they, if they make, go through the right ritual, then the gods will have to do what they want. And the God of Israel, Yahweh says, I don't work like that. You cannot manipulate me. There is not a formula for controlling me. And I suspect that maybe one of the reasons why God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to is to remind us that there is no formula. That we cannot manipulate him. And so we listen to this and it scares us enough and it frightens us enough and it makes us nervous enough that we then go way over here too often and say, let's just play it safe. We don't want to get tangled up in that, so let's play it safe. Let's only pray prayers that we're pretty sure we know the answers to. Let's only pray prayers that we can take care of ourselves. Or let's pray prayers that aren't too bold, too risky. We're not sticking out our necks too much. And we really don't expect that much from God. And maybe we even pray a prayer that's a little bit riskier, but we don't really believe God's going to do anything about it. But we feel guilty not at least praying about it. Somebody is sick, and so we pray for them, but we don't really expect God to do anything about it. We play it safe. I get that. I tend to live in this camp far more than that camp. I tend to be cautious. I I do this with the sports teams I root for. I don't want to get too excited about them winning because it may turn around. So you just sort of hold your emotions. Don't get too high. Don't get too excited. Because you know what? There's a good chance they're probably going to lose. So you, you brace yourself for that. And if you don't get too excited about it and they lose, it's not near as disappointing. But you miss out on so much fun. You miss out on so much joy of being excited when things are going great. And yes, that can mean the disappointment is that much deeper. But so What? I mean, do we want to live our lives just playing it safe? Or do we want to be people who take risks? And as Christians, people who take risks in how we pray. And here's the bottom line. We don't manipulate God. We don't control God. And when we pray these bold prayers, we leave it up to God. It's his decision, how he answers it. And we say, well, I don't want to pray those prayers because what if I'm disappointed and God doesn't do what he wants? Well, we live with that. What if, what if we're embarrassed because people know we prayed these great prayers and then it doesn't happen? And, and what, if, what if we get embarrassed by that? Well, so what? We'll deal with it. 
God is bigger than our disappointments. God is bigger than our embarrassments. The one thing we do know when we read the scriptures is God tells us to pray risky, bold prayers. Not the kind that manipulate God, not the kind that demand of God, but the kind that are truthful about what we want from God. And we pray with a heightened expectation about what God can do and loves to do. I think for most of us, our, faith, our, our prayers are probably summed up in the title of the book by J.B. Phillips in the 1950s, Your God is Too Small. I suspect that probably describes a lot of us. That's safe praying. We miss out on so much of what God wants to do in our lives and in the world when we settle for praying safe prayers. I wonder sometimes if, if, if maybe God, God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to and what makes us nervous about expecting from God comes down to the fact that we don't have the mind of God. You know, we, we, we see things from our perspective, and we, and we ask God from our perspective, and that's all we can do. We have no other, really no other perspective to operate from. And then we wonder, how come God doesn't do these things? And it's sort of like how we deal with children. I mean, I suspect in one way or another, we've all dealt with children. You know, as a parent... As, as an older sibling, as an aunt, an uncle, a babysitter, uh, you know, you, you've, we've dealt with children, and, and children love to ask for things. You're in the grocery store, can I have that? Can I have that? I like that. I want that. Look at a magazine, or, you know, I want this, I want this. And, and sometimes you say yes, but sometimes you say no. And, and hopefully you don't say no just because you want to be mean, or because you want to antagonize them. You say no because it's probably not good for them. It's not healthy to have chocolate cake for breakfast. It's not healthy for children to stay up until 2 in the morning. It's not healthy. It's not good for them. And and some things are dangerous for them. And so we say no. And no, no matter how hard we work at trying to explain to them why we said no, more often than not, they don't get it. Now, I have to tell you, I'm seeing this from a little different perspective, being a grandparent. Because now I'm saying, whatever Emma wants, she gets. <laughs> I mean, already she has me here, and she's only not even five months old yet. I'll let her mean parents say no, not grandpa. Grandpa says yes. But the honest truth is, I'm not going to say yes to everything. Because some things are not healthy. They're, not, they're dangerous. They're not good. And, but sometimes I want God to be like that doting grandparent who just always says to us, oh, sure, sure, you can have that. Is that dangerous? Sure, but you can have it. Is that bad for you? Sure, but you can have it. And the reality is we don't really want, as a child, if we could reason, we don't really want an adult to treat us that way. We expect them to protect us. We expect them to know more than we do. We just can't understand it. And I wonder sometimes if that is a part of of the way God answers prayers that are difficult for us because we can't see it. And it feels in those moments as if God is being arbitrary and unkind and unsympathetic and uncaring. I mean, even with that explanation, I, I still have questions sometimes about, and I want to say to God, how, how can, I don't understand how that could not be good. How it, could, how it could any way not be good for this person to be healed or for that circumstance to change or for that to get better. I, I, I can't fathom in my mind why that could possibly not be, why it could possibly be bad to say yes to that. And all I can come back to is, I don't know. But I have those same questions that you have. I have those same doubts that you have. 
And it makes me want to say, Lord, I really don't want to get no as an answer, so I'll just not ask. But I miss out on so much of what God wants for us because our children, when we tell them no, are we saying to them, stop asking me? No, we want them to tell us what they want. That's a part of building relationship. It's a part of understanding their likes and dislikes. And we're not upset with them for asking us. Now, maybe the thousandth time in the grocery store for the same thing. But God's a lot more patient than we are. We want that. We want our children to feel comfortable enough with us to ask. You stop and think about it. The people you don't want to ask something from are people we tend to be afraid of. Or there are people that we think they always say no, so why would I ask them? And that's not the kind of relationship we want with children, and it's not the kind of relationship that God wants with us. And sometimes it feels like God always says no, that God seems to be uncaring about what we're dealing with. But all of these prayers, these risky, bold prayers, these prayers that that are spoken with heightened expectations about what God is going to do, those are rooted in knowing who God is. They are, in fact, a declaration that we believe God is who he says he is. That God is compassionate and gracious and loving and merciful. That Jesus is right when he says in Luke 11, right after he says, ask, seek, knock, he says, those of you who are sinful, who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children and you love giving good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven love to give good gifts to you? How much more? Because that's the heart of God. See, the, the mindset of God that has, feels like we have to manipulate him, that's a mindset that believes God never wants to give anything good to us and we have to force it out of him. No wonder God gets angry about that. And the, God, and, the, and the mindset that says, well, I don't really want to trust God for anything big, I don't want to have high expectations, that also is rooted in a mindset of the God who doesn't really want to do good for us. It's the bold, the prayers of high expectations, the prayers of, of trust, the prayers that are risky. Those are the prayers that are rooted in the nature of who God is as our loving Father. And we trust Him that however He answers is right and good and best, whether we understand it or not. We keep asking. And we've come to understand after a while at least we begin to understand after a while, that often the greatest miracles are not necessarily what we're praying about, but the greatest miracles are what God does in us when we pray. That God transforms our hearts, that we live with a deeper level of trust in Him, Because we've stuck out our necks and we've asked for bold things. And God begins to change us and work in us and make us new. He changes our attitudes when we pray. Changes our hearts, our mindsets, our relationships. He changes who we are in so many ways that we never dreamed. Because we are pouring out what we want, the truth of our hearts to God. I find it fascinating at the end of chapter 8... The disciples are are in Samaria and they're preaching the gospel and people are coming to faith and they're healing and all kinds of amazing things happen. And when they get done, the writer tells us that they make their way to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, it says they stopped at many Samaritan villages and preached the gospel. That's kind of one of those throwaway sentences that we read and we say, that's great, we move on to the next thing. But that's a significant sentence. It's hard to describe how how deep the animosity is between Jews and Samaritans. They not just dislike each other, 
they feel hostility toward each other and animosity toward each other. Remember how surprised the disciples are that Jesus stops, goes through Samaria and that he stops and talks with a Samaritan woman? They're upset about that. And now, just a brief time after that, maybe a few months, maybe a year, here are these same disciples walking through Samaria and stopping in village after village after village because they want the Samaritan people to know the joy and the grace of Jesus in their lives like they've experienced. Now that's a miracle. And sometimes the greatest miracles are what God is doing in us, but we've got to be open with Him. And, and, it, and often it comes out of this kind of prayer life that trusts God enough to pray bold, risk-taking prayers. And then we leave it to him. I think one of the things we struggle with about miracles is that we tend to see them as, as the suspension of the natural order. You know, here's the natural order of life, and God steps in a miracle, and he suspends that, stops it. But actually, it's the other way around. Actually, miracles are are glimpses of the restoration of life to its natural order. God didn't create the world with disease and and hunger and death. And Jesus comes along and creates these, does these miracles where he heals people and gives hungry food and he raises the dead to new life. And what we find is that miracles are actually glimpses of God restoring his world that we will experience in full when Christ reappears. And so in a sense, what we're really asking for when we pray for God to do the miraculous is to say, God, give us another glimpse into the world that you've created and are restoring it to be. And I find that often... This kind of praying takes place most effectively when we're in a group together. It's one of the things the church does. We pray for each other. We need it. We help each other. Sometimes your faith is what I need to make my faith what it needs to be. And sometimes my faith is what you need to make your faith what it needs to be. But it's what it means to be the church and this community praying together. Someone has said, you know, sometimes the church, churches take on the, the personality of doubt or faith. Jesus goes to Nazareth, and it's one of the most profound things. It startles me that Mark tells us in chapter 6 that Jesus went into Nazareth and says when he left, he could do very few miracles because of their unbelief. Wow. Here's a community that has taken on the mindset of unbelief. And then there are other places Jesus goes where the community has this perspective of faith and the miracles are amazing. And again, it's not that we found this magic formula, but there is a connection. Somehow, there's a connection between our faith and what God does. And as a church, we want to be faith for each other, support each other, care for each other. And that's why this morning, we've set aside some time to pray for each other. In a couple of moments... The elders who are in the service and the pastoral staff who are here are going to come. We're going to stand here in the front. And we're going to invite you, those of you who'd like, to come to the altar. Or if that's hard for you, you can sit in the red chairs. But come up and give us the privilege of praying for you. Maybe to be faith for you. And we'll lay hands on you. And there is something powerful about, about touch that communicates support and grace. And if you would like, we can, we're happy to anoint you with oil for healing. There's nothing magical about the oil, but it does represent in the scriptures the Holy Spirit. And it's one more symbol, one more sign that the Spirit is with us as we pray. You can come about anything. At first service, we prayed for people who wanted healing. We prayed for people who, about their children. We prayed for people about their workplace. We prayed for people about all kinds of things. It doesn't matter. But if this morning you are thinking, I really have this burden. And maybe the burden is for somebody else. Maybe you want to come and proxy for somebody who can't be here today. And we pray for them 
with you there. Whatever it may be, if you would want to give us the privilege of praying for you and being faith with you, we'd love to do that. I'm going to offer just a brief prayer to prepare us as we get ready to pray together. And then the elders and the staff are going to come, and then I'll invite you to come as we pray together. Father, we are often confused and uncertain and hesitant about really expecting miracles from you. Expecting you to do things that are above and beyond what we might dream or imagine. But this morning, as a church, as your people in this place, we want to do this. And we want to encourage each other in our faith. And we want to pray for the needs that we brought with us and that we feel for others. So, Father, give us courage and give us grace and give us faith that we might expect great things of you and trust you, the answers you give. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you would like for us to pray for you, we invite you to come now and kneel at the altar or sit in the chairs and uh, give us the privilege of doing that for you.
grace and mercy for hearing our prayers. We've stuck out our necks this morning, Lord. And we have done our best to pray old prayers, anticipating things from you that only you can do. Now we leave them in your hands. And we continue to pray, but we trust you. Father, we trust you for not only the needs that we've prayed around this altar reel, but for the other needs of our world and our lives. This morning, Father, we think about people around us and among us who are grieving, especially for Linda Roth and her family, the death of her sister. We pray for people who are struggling with illness and pain and We think this morning of Phil Mucher and Ted Hopkins. We pray for Evelyn Heil, Alice Brown, Florence Tuber, Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and others who may be on our minds today. Work your healing grace in each of them. Father, we also pray for this world in which we live Reminded once again this week of the human penchant for violence. The bombs in Turkey exploding and dozens and dozens of people who've lost their lives and many more injured and families torn apart. Lord, it grieves us. We pray that you would bring peace to our violent, war-torn world. We pray, Father, for people who are struggling with the, dealing with natural disasters in our country and around the world, and we pray for, that you would bring refuge for them and healing and help, and may your people, your church, be a presence of hope in the midst of despair. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution for their faith and ask that you would give them strength and courage and protection in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. Father, we we pray this morning for my mom and dad and ask that you would bless them in their uh, new retirement. As they're active in their church and mentoring people and and continuing to, to serve you, we pray that you would give them grace that they need. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your mercy and goodness in each of our lives. We pray all of this, every prayer, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue in worship together, we have the opportunity to give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
with us. You are everything you promised. Your faithfulness is true. We're desperate for your presence. All we need is you. Same power that can calm our agency lives 
great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm our raging sea lives in us, lives in us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.